Hey folks, have I got a special treat for you today on the podcast. I am interviewing Esty Cohen, a seasoned recruiter and director of recruiting at the California Job Shop. She has placed thousands of candidates in professional jobs and has often recruited people with graduate degrees. We talk about many things from how to get your first job out of grad school to how to create your first industry resume, how to crush your first job interviews, and find a job with good work-life balance. And hey, at the end, Esty shares uh, a little bit of an insider information into some of the jobs that she's recruiting for right now. So if you're interested in working in data in industry, definitely listen to the end and see what she has to say. Without further ado, let's get to the show. Hey folks, thank you for tuning into the Grad School Sucks podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Matthew Carlson, and each week I'll be bringing you conversations that will help grad students like you survive grad school and thrive in a post-grad school career. If you end up enjoying today's podcast, please leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And be sure to check out the description of this episode for links to everything that we talk about today. Without further ado, let's start the episode. Well, Esty Cohen, thank you so much for joining me. This is uh, Esty from the California Job Shop. I am so glad to be talking with you today on the podcast. We have a lot to talk about. You are a very unique uh, guest for this show. But before we jump into it, I wanted to give you an opportunity to further introduce yourself, but also plug away however you want people to follow you online or join a newsletter or anything like that. Sure. I really appreciate the opportunity. And me and you have become friends through Instagram. So that's really nice. Mm -hmm. And uh, I own California Job Shop. We are very high volume at placing all kinds of people, including masters and PhDs. So we got you. And you can look at us on LinkedIn, California Job Shop, or on Instagram, California Job Shop. I also have a little podcast called Apply Now, where we specifically cover applying for jobs, resumes, recruiting, advancing your career, parenting and recruiting, those kinds of things. So I'm excited to talk. Yes, yes. And I'll have links to all of this in the description below. So whether you're on YouTube or listening to the podcast, you can just scroll down, click and go check out all of those. And I will go ahead and say, you're the Apply Now podcast. I've been listening to it for like a month or two at this point. And uh, I, I have to admit, I will listen to your advice. And then I will think about it, take my dog for a walk. And then I'll be like, okay, I'm going to create some content for my channel <laughs> from the advice that you share on your podcast. And I, I've, I've given you a shout out once or twice, but not every shout out you deserve. So I'm glad to have you on here to, um, to chat more directly. So Esty, we talked a little bit about, about my audience and kind of where they're coming from. Um, so many of these students don't have what we would call industry experience or jobs in the business world. They're coming out of academia. They have these academic experiences what are what are the biggest challenges you see for grad students um, that may lack, you know, quote, industry experience for getting their first job out of grad school in the business world? Okay, so I have a few ideas about that. Number one, a lot of people want to justify the price of their PhD or master's degree with their very first job. Hmm. And your first job 
the typical amount of money, I would say, and I'm going to just give a, a, a number, I'm going to throw it at you. And if you disagree, push back, no problem. Someone who graduates with a PhD, I see their first salary, just straight out of school, between 70000 and 90000 That's really where we rank PhDs with zero experience. So sometimes we'll interview someone with a PhD and they'll say, you know, my degree costs X, Y, Z amount of money. I'm looking to start at 120. And we'll answer, I appreciate that and I respect that. But if you want to get your foot in the door and start a little bit lower once you, you know, your first job, and then you can work your way up. And as you become an expert in your specific field, you're worth way more money. So I would say shoot your salary lower get in at a larger company because you'll have more room for growth and the growth has specific standards. Like you'll start off as an associate, they'll become the regular person, then they'll become a senior and it will get you from here to there. And I would stay at a job that's pretty decent for a couple of years so that you build experience and then you're worth way more for your second job. Mm. Okay. And then there are certain places that will pay more for a PhD right out the boat. If you are a teacher for middle school or high school or community college, which I guess would be a professor, you are worth way more with a PhD. So Mm -hmm. I can talk about private schools, which we represent right now, 14 private schools. And if you have a bachelor's degree, new teachers worth between, let's say, 60 and 70. And I'm talking very uh, across the board. Okay, so absolutely. I don't, want, I don't want the mean emails. And then if you have a master's degree, you're worth about 70 to 80, PhD, 80 to 90. So you're worth more just because you have the degree, especially in sciences and math, mm-hmm. right out the door. Yeah, absolutely. No, that makes a ton of sense. And honestly, I landed in that, in that 70 to 90K range for my first industry job. And I think, I think people's... I got to, right? Yeah, you did. I think people's experiences will vary because the grad students listening to the show come from, you know, everywhere from like the STEM fields that are more easily able to jump into industry to say the humanities, where there's maybe a little more legwork to be done. Um, Or people like me from the social sciences who are kind of somewhere in between. Um, So I, I think another thing that may petrify grad students a little bit when they first think about jumping into the the job market in industry are the materials. So we're trained to create CVs. These are documents that have dozens of pages that list every single thing we've ever done. And when it comes time to make a resume, it's not a skill that I think many grad students have. So what do you think are the essential pieces that grad students need to be including on a resume? That's such a good question, because when I see a CV, I don't even know what to do with it. So I think it's essential to realize that the people looking at your CV or resume do not have a PhD or master's degree. They're usually a bachelor's level recruiter or a, what else are we called, training manager or just a regular operations manager who are looking at it and trying to make a decision, do I interview this person or not? So you have to have your contact info, just put your city and state, don't put your address. A lot of people do that. Dangerous, don't do it. And then any real life experience you've had. And if you have had only volunteer experience or unpaid experience, include that too. You can explain later at the interview that you weren't paid, but you still did the work Mm -hmm. and that should count for something. So your degrees, 
your experience are main things. If you've pl- if you've published 15 papers, I don't really care unless the job is specifically producing these papers. Otherwise, mm. it's not relevant. Um, I'm on the team where I want to see a resume, which is one to two pages, because remember, we're looking at a bunch of resumes. You put your main meat on the first page. We got you. What did you do for work? How can you add value to this job? Shit. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think about the role of portfolios and portfolio projects for people who don't have direct industry experience? Portfolio means they produce such and such work at college. Is that what it is? Uh, I So for me as a data analyst, whenever I was going on the job market, I had to pick up a new skill, SQL or SQL. And then I'd never used it in a job before. So I created just a very basic job with publicly available data, threw it on a Squarespace website, and that was my portfolio, basically. Um, It will not harm you at all, and it's mm -hmm. only going to be a positive to have. And it's something you should um, submit, including your resume. So take your resume and just say, hi, I also have this beautiful portfolio. Maybe you're interested. And usually the first person screening you will not be interested, but they'll forward it to someone higher up who will be like, oh, my gosh, he knows this. That's amazing. So it won't work against you, but I don't think it's a make or break it thing. Um, Yeah. No, no, that makes total sense. Um, So a a couple other things that I've been thinking about uh, when it comes to so soft skills. So this going back to your podcast, this is one thing that you talked about with a fellow recruiter. I do not remember her name off the top of my head. It was a week or two ago. Anyway, um, you were talking about how someone who shows enthusiasm for the job and who's generally likable has a much greater chance at actually getting a job. Can you speak to soft skills and how that plays into the job process? Yes, because every single person is hired for their actual skill set and if they're a pleasure to be around. Mm. So if you smile during the interview, if you say, I'm so excited for this job, just really basic things that show that you're very interested, you will make it to the top because so many people act like we're harming them for interviewing them, you know, and if you come in with a positive, refreshing attitude and you're open to learn, you're open to grow. That'll beat out people who are more skilled than you are. And when you work with recruiters, because I am from recruiting land, you tell them, I'm really interested. I'm enthusiastic. What can you do to help me get through the door? And sometimes they have tips. Sometimes they'll tell you, listen, say that you know X, Y, Z, the client really wants it. Because Mm. remember also that recruiters want you to get the job even more than you want the job. Mm. So they're on your team trying to push you through. Yeah. What, uh, so for grad students, whenever they get to their first few interviews, you know, um, we, as grad students will have done interviews like five years ago when we were going to get into the graduate program. And those are these long drawn out, like multi-day things. Um, but for job interviews, what are some tips or tricks or what perspectives should grad students have when they're going to their first few job interviews? I would say a few things. One, you want to answer the questions clearly. Second, you want to listen because a lot of times the interview is more conversational. You have somebody who only interviews a few times a year. That's the most common scenario where they just want to have a nice conversation with you and see if you're a good fit. 
And if you already made it to the interview uh, point, you're probably pretty good for the job. You just got to show them that you're a delightful person and you will get the job. So it's not like everyone's against you at an interview. Usually, if you got to the interview stage, they're interviewing between one and five people and that's it. It's not like you're up against a thousand people at that point. So just be warm, be a delight, listen to the interviewer's stories, even if they're Mm. really random, you know, hear them out, make positive comments. And you're going to get the same few questions over and over. One of them being, what do you want to do in five years? That's the most common question. Did you, did you get to ask that question? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And so the, the correct answer for that is, I want to be in this company, but higher up than I am. That's, yeah. the, that's the answer that everybody wants to hear. Um, two things that I've heard that people are rejected for often are one, having no boundaries. I talk about that a lot. People will share their personal problems, especially mm. if they're deep, their mental health issues, their divorce, their, their angry relatives. Do not share that on interview. It will mm-hmm. not help you. Keep it light and bright. Happy, happy. They can hear about your issues when they get to know you in six months. But right now, absolutely, that's not the way. Um, and then I was going to tell you one more thing. I don't so, remember. I'll get back. <laughs> yeah. Um, so on that note, one of the things that I uh, recommend a lot of, that a lot of grad students do is to do informational interviews or coffee chats to basically build up their network. Um, and one of the things that, that comes up a lot is that grad students are coming out of tough situations. And so they, uh, they end up connecting with these people who are already in industry and are giving away their time for free to grad students coming in. And the last thing that you want to do is, uh, turn someone into your therapist when it is time to create a great and positive relationship. And I'm honestly, I'm so glad that you said that. Um, yeah. That really, that really speaks to me. Oh, you know, I'm sorry. I was thinking of the other thing that people yeah. push themselves out of the interview. It's people who have a bunch of different ideas and are doing too many things at once. Mm-hmm. When you're on the interview, focus on that job and what the company wants from you. Sometimes we have people going into an interview for a data analyst. That's amazing. That's what a lot of people are, including you, right? Mm-hmm. PhD, per- perfect fit for that job. But then they're talking about Bitcoin and real estate they've bought and different ideas that they've had. That's amazing for a whole person. It's beautiful, but not on an interview. Stay on topic. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing uh, kind of related to this that I I was talking about with someone recently was uh, the idea of like hustle culture. And in academia, there's a pretty strong um, environment of like overwork, working in the evenings, working on weekends, you know, answering emails at midnight when you get up to go to the bathroom. And I think there are a lot of grad students that are, when, whenever they go to industry, one of the things that they are looking for is good work-life balance. Um, and studies have shown that PhDs in industry do tend to have better work-life balance than PhDs in academia. So when, when they're on the job market, uh, is there a way to kind of like get a, a, an eye into a company culture when you're going through the interview process? What would you recommend for that? Okay. 
Number one, larger companies are leaning more into work-life balance because they're getting pushback from their employees. So if you're in a company with 100 or more employees, they'll give you more vacations and they can handle your absence and they can handle getting an an email at nine o'clock in the morning rather than 12 in the evening. So I think the huge difference is big and small company. A small company will typically pay you more. They'll bounce up your job title. It'll be more of a hustle. It'll be more of an aggressive situation because it's not like they have tons of employees who can pick up the slack. Mm. They have one to 10 people or even 50 people who are doing you know, a job in your sector. So they're relying on you greatly. Bigger companies, you'll have less pressure You'll have less pushback. You'll have more work-life balance, but it'll be more, the pay will be more structured. I have down to the dollar what we can pay for position, what we can't, and they'll have better benefits as well. So I think that would probably be the difference between a large and small company. And I represent tons of small companies. And what you get there is you get more money, you get a better title, and you get an opportunity to do all kinds of crazy things. Larger company, more work-life balance, more just very specific tasks that you're supposed to do. You're not able to touch the whole project. You'll have more touch of of different projects in smaller companies. So I would say larger would be more relaxed. Um, And then also, if you have a boss that likes emails late at night, just schedule send. Here, here's your email at 2 a.m. Yeah. 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 I'm doing actually a data analyst for Experian right now. Oh, fun. Yeah, so we have 45 positions from them. Oh, my God. We're busy. Yeah, and they all need to be filled, like, yesterday. Maybe some of your friends on this want to be data analysts because I can use them right now. Hey, folks, that is my conversation with Esty. We ended a little bit abruptly, unfortunately, because we had some technological difficulties, but we basically had finished the majority of our conversation by the time we got there. And I have a gut feeling that Esty is going to come back to the show in the future to continue to talk about how grad students can make great impressions with recruiters when they're on the industry job market. So I have a couple of takeaways and then a call to action for you. First takeaway, recruiters have parallel goals to job seekers. So I think we often see recruiters as gatekeepers who are keeping us from jobs when in fact recruiters are actually rewarded when they place a great candidate in a new role. And so if we think about it from that perspective, I think it changes the relationship we have with recruiters. The second thing that I took away is that skills are the key. Accomplishments are not the key. In academia, accomplishments are often um, talked about as being really great. We show them off on our CV. And accomplishments are fantastic, and they should be on our resume for industry. But the skills that we bring to the table and how those skills play into the role that we're applying for is really something that we need to be mindful of when we are applying for jobs in industry. The third thing is to simply be personable. And this is something that... uh, Esty is really uh, hammered home on her podcast, which is called Apply Now, and you can find it at the link in uh, the description of this episode. Um, and, you know, being personable, being enthusiastic, being likable really goes a long, long way. And it's not just about being the smartest person in the room or the most confident person in the room. If you're not likable, no one's going to want to work with you and no one's going to want to hire you. So 
be sure to check the description for links to uh, Estee's LinkedIn profile, her podcast called Apply Now that I mentioned, as well as her website, The California Job Shop. And if you're interested in reaching out to Estee for any of the jobs that she mentioned or even jobs that she didn't mention, reach out to her on LinkedIn. So I don't know if she, I don't think she mentioned this in the recorded part that we had, but if you reach out to her on LinkedIn, you let her know that you heard uh, about her and job openings that she may have on the show and her conversation with Matt, she'll be more likely to uh, take your resume and follow up with you for any openings that may be a good fit. So definitely feel confident in reaching out to Esty and feel comfortable in developing these relationships with recruiters. Anyway, thank you all so much for listening. Hope you got a lot out of today and I will see you all next time. Folks, thank you for tuning into the Grad School Sucks podcast. I hope you got a lot out of our episode today. If you did, please consider leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And be sure to check out the description of this episode for links to everything that we covered today. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Matt Carlson, and I look forward to bringing you another great episode next week. See y'all next time.